You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I get to be the uh, lead pastor here at Midtown Church and so glad to uh, be with you this morning. If you're new, visiting, uh, glad that you're here. You picked a great Sunday to join us because we're kicking off a brand new four-week series out of the book of Jonah. So you're here at the, the beginning of the movie, if you will. And so uh, really glad that you're here. Looking forward to our time together. And uh, this study in Jonah, man, I'm really excited about it. Now, some of y'all might be thinking, okay, why are we studying Jonah. In fact, some of y'all might be thinking that because you think this is a, a made-up story, right? Story of a guy who gets swallowed by a big fish, and like, that's super weird, and I'm with you. That's super weird. And you think, okay, really, why are we going to give four weeks to this made-up story? If that's your question, then I really want to invite you back next week, okay? Because next week, we're going to address that, the, was this, is this true? Is this not true? What do we get from this? What's the purpose? We're going to get to that because next week, we're going to actually get to the really weird part where he's like in the belly of the fish. And so we'll talk about that next week. So if you have that question, come back next week for now. Try to hit pause on that, push that aside, and lean into this today if you can, okay? Because let me tell you, the reason why we're going to study Jonah, the reason I'm so excited about this study, is because the book of Jonah gives us an incredible look into the very heart of God. It gives us an incredible insight into what he is like, into his heart, and you mean, you know how, like every once in a while, you'll be with someone or something will happen and you'll get to see how they respond to that event. And it just kind of pulls back the layers and just reveals like what makes them tick, what really gets them excited, what gets them passionate. I mean, it's just something happens that gives you insight into the, how someone's heart works. Well, the book of Jonah, it does that for us into the heart of God. And, and it's really beautiful. It's really powerful. It's awesome. And it's something that we need. And I say we need it because um, we often don't trust God's heart, do we? I mean, if we're honest, we don't trust. I mean, is he really, is he really good? Is he really trustworthy? Is, is he really out for my good? Or is he out to, to keep me from being happy? Like, is he, does he really love me even if I run from him? Like, we, we don't often trust God's heart. So we need this look into God's heart. In addition, not only do we not often trust God's heart, but we sadly don't often share God's heart. That we, like Jonah, as we're going to see uh, this morning and really throughout this entire study, we, we can fail to have God's heart towards others. We don't share his heart towards others, which is an issue because God's heart's awesome, as we're going to see throughout the study. He's better than we even realize and it's a good thing for us to have his heart. And so we need this look into his heart. See, what is he really like? So we're going to study this, and I think it's going to be really insightful. I think it's going to be really powerful. I'm really excited. So let me pray, and then we're going to dive in to Jonah chapter 1. Pun intended. All right, let's pray. Aha. Heavenly Father, God, we ask that you would speak to us through this study, that through your word, God, through your spirit, you would help us see to a greater extent, what you're like. God, give us insight into your heart that we would trust you more and, Lord, that you would begin to change our hearts to be more like yours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so let's uh, Jonah chapter 1, if you will, turn there or pull it up on your phone, or I'll have the words up here as well uh, for us to follow along. We'll start with Jonah 1, verse 1. says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, let me just hit pause right there because uh, give you a little, it's helpful to have a little background information on this guy, Jonah. In the book, you'll see we don't really get any background information. You're not like, okay, who is, who is this guy? Thankfully, um, Jonah, this isn't the only time he's mentioned in the Jewish scriptures in the Old, Old Testament. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, we get this quick little snapshot of this guy, Jonah, son of Amittai. It's what, how it's referred to in 2 Kings. And we find out he was a prophet in the day of King Jeroboam II. So in Israel, nation of Israel, he was a prophet whenever the King Jeroboam II was in charge. That's 786, 746 B.C., a little historical perspective there. And what's really interesting is this, we get a little snapshot of Jonah, but what we see is that uh, he was instrumental in telling uh, the king that he should uh, uh, reinforce and expand the boundaries of, of uh, Israel, to, to fortify the walls, the border of Israel. And the reason that's kind of interesting is because um, Jonah wasn't the only prophet in his day. Uh, there were a couple of others. Uh, you had Amos and Hosea, who both have uh, books in the Bible as well. And Amos and Hosea, like if you read their books in the Bible, you'll see that, man, they were really strong in rebuking the authorities of that day for not following God and for being unjust. And yet... What we have a Jonah, this is just, I mean, granted, it's a small little snapshot, but what we have a Jonah is that this guy, <laughs> that's not what his message was. His message was, hey, let's go, let's go, let's expand the borders, let's, let's reinforce the borders. It was all about this kind of like nationalistic, patriotic pride for Israel. And with that snapshot and with what we see in Jonah, it's really safe to say what many scholars claim is that Jonah was... Uh, uh, just an intensely patriotic, patriotic nationalist. <laughs> and that makes what God calls Jonah to do really interesting. Because in verse 2, here's what God says. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, that would have really shocked Jonah for a couple of reasons. First of all, it would have shocked him because uh, it was not customary for God to send one of his prophets uh, to deliver his word to a foreign nation. Like it, it just didn't really happen. And so Jonah would have been like, man, like, I don't know if that's actually in my job description. Like prophets, we, de we declare your word to the nation of Israel, to, to your people. Like that, I, don't, I didn't sign up for that. But he would have, this would have really on top of that, shocked Jonah that God would call him to do this because God wasn't just calling him to go to any nation to declare his message, but he was calling him to go to Assyria, to Nineveh, the, the capital of Assyria. And that would have really messed with Jonah because um, Assyria was uh, their enemies. Assyria was located just to the north of the nation of Israel, and they were a real threat to the Israelites. I mean, this is the, these are the people that Jonah doesn't want to have anything to do with. That Their threat was real, and they were, um, I think it's fair to say, really awful. 
They were really violent. In fact, uh, archaeological discoveries have shown that uh, through uh, the Assyrians' own uh, depiction and description of their practices, they were some of the most violent people in the history of the world. Uh, I'm not going to get into all of the details, but a couple of the real like, you know, standout things that I read, and I read too much about this, but... Um, like one of the things that they would do is uh, common practices, and if they were um, in a battle, they would uh, once captured, uh, having a victory over people they were fighting against, they would cut off one of their arms and both of their legs, but leave an arm and a hand so that as the person was dying, they could shake his hand as he's bleeding out, just in mockery. I mean, that's and that's kind of like demented kind of evil, right? Violence, or to what's worse is that another common practice of them, the Syrians of that day, the Edomites of that day, was that they would uh, skin men, women, and children alive, hang their skin up on the city walls, and then bury the people that they skinned alive up to their neck in sand while they're still alive, and then, to get it even worse, pull their tongue out and drive a stake through their tongue so they would, as they're languishing in pain, also dying of thirst. And then they would play Old Town Road and repeat over and over. Okay. Made that last part up. But now, I mean, these these are like horrible people, right? Like this is nasty stuff. I'm not even going to get into the stuff that they would do to women and uh, little girls. But suffice to say that uh, Jonah, he would have been shocked that God was going to send him to these people, his, uh, his enemies. And so he refused to go. In verse 3, it says, uh, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, this is, this is almost comical. Because not only did Jonah try to run away from the Lord, but he tried to run as far as he could possibly go. Perhaps y'all are familiar with this, but let me throw it up on the map. So Jonah, Jonah goes down to Joppa, and then he's headed to Tarshish. Now Tarshish is like the outer like, barrier of the known world at that time. Like it's Spain. Like they, they don't know that the U.S. Right, exists because we didn't actually exist at the time. But the, you know, let's say the North American continent and South American continent, they didn't know that that was there. So this is as far as he thinks he can possibly go. And it's complete opposite direction of where God has ca- told him to go. So he, he goes down southwest to Joppa and as far west as he could to Tarshish instead of going uh, north, northeast to Nineveh. Now, one of the things that I really love about the book of Jonah and that I don't want you guys to miss is that um, this book and this this beautiful way uh, ties Jonah's, the spiritual state of Jonah's heart to his physical actions. That, that, That his physical actions mirror the state of his heart. And so when Jonah says no to God, like, God, I'm not going to do what you've said to do. I'm going to instead run away from you, and I'm going to try to run as far away as possibly can go. That shows the state of his heart. His heart is saying, also, no, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm running away from you as far as possibly can go. And, guys, that's insightful for us, though very convicting. Because uh, we don't often have our physical actions really mirror 
our spiritual state of our heart. And oftentimes, we'll say no to God. God's called us to do something, we say no. Or God says, don't do something, we say, no, I'm going to do it anyways. But then we go about our regular daily lives as if we're not spiritually running from God. That we just can just kind of numb ourselves. We still show up at worship. We still show up at our MCs or huddles with Bible study. And just as if we aren't in a state of outright rebellion running from God in an area of our lives. And what Jonah shows us is that the truth is, well, man, when we say no to God, when we say, God, I'm not going to do what you've told me to do, on a heart level, we're well on our way to Tarshish. We're running from God. Now, why do we do that? Why did Jonah do that? Why do we run from God? Well, let me give you a, a couple reasons real quick. First is, the reason we run is because we distrust distrust God's heart. Specifically, it's distrusting God's heart for me, for you. I mean, think about Jonah, right? Jonah, he, he says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not heading to Nineveh, I'm heading to Tarshish. Why? Because he, he's got to be struggling with, with belief in God's heart for him because it, it makes no sense for God to send an Israelite prophet to his enemy, to Nineveh, like if he goes there, he's got to be thinking, man, God, if I do that, they're going to kill me. They're not going to listen to me. Why would they listen to me? They just, like, you must just want me to die, God. So I can't trust your heart towards me. I'm going to go do my own thing. I love how pastor and author Tim Keller describes this. He says it this way. He says, Jonah had a problem with the job he was given, but he had a bigger problem with the one who gave it to him. Jonah concluded that because he could not see any good reasons for God's command, then uh, there couldn't be any. Jonah doubted the goodness, wisdom, and the justice of God. And friends, I think that we're, uh, we're often like Jonah. And God will tell us, hey, we need to forgive. But we'll think, man, God, I can't do that. If I forgive them, they're going to think what they did to me was okay. Or God says, uh, be generous with our money. And we think, but God, I can't do that. Uh, I, you know, I won't be set up for the future if I start giving my money away. And God says, avoid a sexual, sexual immorality. And we think, God, your sexual ethic is a little outdated, don't you know? I can't do that. People are going to think I'm a freak. God says, go be my witness. Tell people about me. Said, oh, I can't, God, I can't, I can't do that right now. I mean, I, I can, you know, they're going to think I'm a fanatic. If you're like me, friends, I want to run what God says through my own personal grid of what makes sense to me. And if I don't understand why God says what he says, says, then I will often dismiss it. And for when it comes down to it, I often trust myself more than I trust God. Can you relate to that? You know why we do that? It's because uh, the default setting of the unaided human heart is to always believe we know better than God. It's been that way from the very beginning. For we doubt that God is good or that he is committed to our happiness. And so we can't, if we can't see any good reason to do what he says, then we, like Jonah, will assume there isn't any and we will run. That's 
why Jonah ran. But it's not the only reason why Jonah ran. He, not only did he distrust God's heart for him, and we distrust our heart, God's heart for us, but the other reason we run is because uh, we don't share God's heart for others. And that's why Jonah ran too. He did not share God's heart for others. Um, you see, Jonah understood something pretty significant, and I don't want you guys to miss this. He understood that the reason God would want to send a prophet to Nineveh is because God loved them, and in his grace, he wanted to give them an opportunity to repent and turn to him. And that was the last thing that Jonah wanted. You see, God loved the Ninevites, but Jonah hated the Ninevites. They were his enemies. He wanted God to crush them. And as a strong nationalist, he wanted to see any threat to Israel destroyed. And so, in fact, in chapter 4, and let me spoiler alert here, uh, in case you didn't know, uh, when God ends up forgiving Nineveh in chapter 3, after they repent and turn to him, uh, in chapter 4, uh, Jonah prays this prayer, and it's incredibly insightful. He says this, And he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. What is what he tried to forestall? God giving grace on Nineveh after they repent. He says, I, that's the last thing I wanted, God. But that's why I ran, because see, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Man, I knew, I knew that's what you were up to when you told me to go to Nineveh. I knew that you were willing to do that if they repent, and that's the last thing I wanted. Jonah did not share God's heart for others. But before we judge Jonah too hard, guys, Let's examine ourselves, too, here, right? Because I think that we often fail to share God's heart for others as well, especially the people that do us wrong or the people who stand for, for something that, or stand against something that we stand for. I mean, there's groups of people, there's individuals that we have in our lives that we would say, God, I would rather see you judge and condemn and pour your wrath out than to see them repent and you give grace to and forgive. Who's your Nineveh? It's your father? It's your ex? Is it that one guy? Sibling? friend that betrayed you? I mean, who is it? We often have them. People that we want to see God pour his wrath out on instead of people that we want to see come to repentance, which recognize that they have done wrong. That's a part of that. And then God forgive. God be gracious towards. See, We'll fail to obey God. We'll, we'll run from God when we mistrust his heart towards us and we don't share his heart towards others because you're not going to love people like God loves when you just want to see them condemned. So uh, Jonah runs. We often run from God as well. And the good news is uh, God in his incredible grace doesn't stop coming after us. 
he keeps chasing after us. And we're going to see that with Jonah. But also, and I don't want to just, you know, try to paint too pretty of a picture here. There are consequences when we run from God, when we say no to God, when we don't go our own way. And we see how that plays out for Jonah here as this passage continues. So verse 4 says this, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. You see, here's the result of uh, running. For Jonah, the result was a storm, a, a violent storm. And it, it really must have been very bad because the, the sailors, these seasoned sailors on, on, on board, like they're scared to death. They start throwing the cargo off the ship. Like that's might as well have just been throwing their money, their, their paychecks off the, the ship. Like, oh man, this, this was bad. Now, why a storm? Well, there's a few reasons I'm going to get to them, but let me just say initially, uh, the reason why a storm is because, guys, our sin breaks things. Sin breaks things, and it hurts, it impacts others. And, like, we just need to recognize that and own that, okay? Like, if you lie to someone, it's going to break trust. You act selfishly in your relationship, you have an affair, or you just are a selfish jerk. It's going to break down your family. And you talk bad about someone behind their back, it's going to break the relationship. And that brokenness, the brokenness of our sin, the the sin, the consequences of our sin, it's not just felt by you. It's felt by the people who are close to you. And so Jonah is sinning. He's running from God. And the result is this, like the the storm is breaking apart the ship. (laughs) Sin breaks things. But it's not just Jonah that's feeling that. It's all of the sailors who are feeling that. Because we know this. I mean, I could tell you story after story to illustrate this point, but you, you don't need me to do that, right? You know that sin breaks things and hurts others. You know that in your own heart. You felt that because of the sin of your parents, or the sin of your friends, or the sin of your spouse. And they've all felt it from you, too. One of my favorite uh, songs uh, has got this line in it. It says, um, uh, all my favorite people are broken. Believe me, my heart should know. Sin breaks things. It hurts others. That's part of why the storm. But here's, here's the other thing. And this, is, yeah, this is just amazing. We, we'll spend all of eternity chewing on this. I'm not kidding. But uh, God in his incredible wisdom and grace has the ability to even accomplish his redemptive purposes through our sin. Which doesn't excuse the sin, okay? But in his incredible wisdom and power and grace, he can actually accomplish incredible things through our sin. And that's the other reason for why the storm. Because God is going to use this storm to accomplish his good purposes. It's going to use it to try to wake Jonah up and to begin to bring change, heart-level change. We see that in the next verse. verse. Verse 5 continues. It says this, But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? 
Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. You see, when Jonah ran from God, I don't want you to miss this. God could have just let him go, right? I mean, Jonah was literally trying to get away from God. And God could have said, fine. Like, I've got other prophets, you know? I'll send one of them to Nineveh. You be on your own. You want to be away from me? I'm done with you. And God could have had that attitude, but God doesn't. God chases after Jonah. And he starts using whatever means necessary to get his attention, even if it's a a storm. Again, earlier I talked about how uh, one of the things I love about the book of Jonah is that like the physical actions are are meant to mirror the state of Jonah's spiritual heart, right? And up to this point, what we've seen is that Jonah has gone down to Joppa, and then he boards a a boat, and he goes down below deck, and then he goes down to sleep, and then he falls into or goes down into a deep sleep. Like, this, this is all meant to show us, like, Jonah is he's not in a good spot. His heart is so far from God. And so God, in his love and his grace, says, I'm going to wake you up. I'm going to call you to get up. And we think, well, God, God why did you have to sit a storm? Could you send him some coffee? That helped him wake up, right? I mean, why a storm? But friends, hear this. God is a perfect father. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that as a perfect father, God disciplines those he loves. And that his discipline is not done out of a heart of anger towards you, or towards, in this case, Jonah, And it's not done for the purpose of crushing him or crushing you. But that his discipline is done out of a heart of love and mercy and grace for you. For the purpose of calling you to holiness. To literally change you, change your heart. And God, as a perfect father, will use whatever means are necessary and befitting to wake you up to him. And in this case, for Jonah, he knew he needed a storm. And it's like he places his own words into the, on, 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 on the lips of the captain who shouts, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. See, but God doesn't just want to wake us up. And get our attention. He's after something even more. He's really after our hearts. And that's the other reason for the storm. That God uses it to wake Jonah up, but also to begin some heart change. Verse 7 says, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us uh, cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Now, uh, not a good way to make decisions. Just going to go ahead and say that. Sometimes in the Bible, you got prescriptive and descriptive. Prescriptive, this is what you should do. Descriptive, is, this is what they did. This is a descriptive. Don't decide who you're going to marry by rock, paper, scissors or anything like that, okay? Um, so they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Good to see nothing's changed in like 25 thousand years what kind of questions we ask hey what kind of work do you do uh where do you come from what's your country what people are you (laughs) are you and he jonah answered i'm a hebrew and i worship the lord literally in the hebrew there it's, it's i fear the lord i fear the lord the god of heaven 
who made the sea and the dry land. And in this, there's, there's some real irony. First of all, he's saying, okay, these, remember, these sailors have been praying to all their gods. And they, uh, but Jonah says, hey, look, look, my, my God is actually the, the one God, the God of heaven, who, who's the God of everything, sea and dry land. And I fear him. And we're thinking, really, do you fear him, Jonah? Man, it's just such a picture of how our theology and our practice can be so far apart from each other at times, right? I mean, these, if you, the sailors, they're the ones who are fearing God in this, in this time. Anyways. Verse 10, this terrified them, the sailors, and they said, what have you done? What have you done? See, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? So Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that, is, I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord. Now, this is not to the gods, all the different gods they were praying to before. This is to the God of Jonah. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. So once the sailors learn that Jonah is the cause of the storm, they all reason that he's also the key to calming the storm. And so they ask, hey, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah says, uh, throw me into the sea. Now, um, we might think, okay, why is that the answer? <laughs> well, from what he says, uh, it seems like the intensity of the storm and the fear of the sailors finally caused Jonah to think about someone other than himself. Now, like, okay, I don't want to overstate this because uh, there's, he doesn't say anything here about God Jonah is far from repentant. You're going to see that always as the book continues. But uh, he does say to the sailors, I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So throw me into the sea. And guys, that's the equivalent of him saying something like, hey, it's not right that you guys die for me this is my fault. And so I should be the one who dies for you. And in that sentiment, we find the very first sign that God is working. Working through the storm to change Jonah's heart. To get his eyes off himself and on to others. And so after the sailors make one more unsuccessful attempt to row back to the shore. They pray to God. And this time, it's not, again, like I said, it's not their individual gods, Jonah's God. And then they throw Jonah overboard. 
And as next week we're going to see, he didn't actually die. But uh, the sea grows calm. And when the sea grows calm, we're told that the sailors then feared God and began to worship him. Okay, so back to the question, why the storm? The reason for the storm is twofold. One is because sin has consequences. It breaks things. It hurts others. It's just part of it. But the other reason is because God is merciful. He's gracious and he's good. And in his mercy and grace, he doesn't stop chasing after Jonah, but instead uses whatever is needed to wake him up and bring about heart change, which is what we see begins to happen with Jonah. And hear this, definitely happens with the sailors. I mean, like the sailors, they're just caught in this whole thing. And yet God uses in his providence Jonah, again, his sin, he works through the sin to bring about good, to bring about heart change in the sailors. They realize, okay, no, there's one true God. And he's the God, and he, they fear him, and they worship him. They, like, they come to, into a relationship. They get to know the one true through this. It's wild. And God uses it in the storm to begin to change Jonah's heart. You see, when I started this message, I said the reason we're studying Jonah is because this book gives us priceless insight into the heart of God, which we need because we often don't trust his heart. But friends, why? Why don't we trust his heart? Why don't we trust the heart of God? I mean, look, I mean, even just in this passage, like, look at what he is like. Look at how he responds when we run from him. See, God's response to our running is that in his grace, he chases after us. How incredible is that? Let me ask you, friends, the last time someone really did you wrong, really hurt you, really betrayed you, what was your response to them? Did you chase after them in love, offering forgiveness? Or did you say, man, I'm done with you? How incredible is it that the God of the universe, the Holy One, the Almighty One, when we run from Him, He doesn't... Now, he takes off after us. He chases after us. And in this passage, guys, we see that that's not just true of Jonah. The whole book begins because God's doing that with Nineveh. He's after them. And then he's after Jonah. (laughs) And then he throws in the sailors. (laughs) I mean, this is what God is like in his grace. He chases after us. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to wake us up and to stop our running, even if it means sending a storm. Even if it means entering our storm. See, in Matthew 12, Jesus makes an amazing statement. He refers to himself as the greater Jonah. And in that statement, he was referring to this passage. Where Jonah finally decides that it's not right to make the sailors die for his sins. And so he willingly gets thrown overboard, thinking he's going to die. But in Matthew 12, Jesus was saying, he's the greater Jonah because like Jonah, he would willingly die so that others wouldn't have to. However, and this is a big however, unlike Jonah, Jesus actually did die And when he died, he didn't die on account of his sins, 
but on account of all of ours. And in doing so, Jesus calmed the storm of God's just wrath towards our sin. And he brought peace between us and God so that uh, that can be ours simply through faith that he did, truly did that for you and for me. And friends, that's how good God is. His response to our running from him is to graciously chase after us even though it meant he would have to first die for us. So in his love, he willingly did that. He willingly died for us. See, Jonah's whole problem was the same as ours. A wrong belief that if we fully surrender our will to God, he will not be committed to our good and our joy. But here's the ultimate proof that that deeply rooted belief is a lie. A God who substitutes himself for us and suffers and dies in our place so that we may be saved from the storm as a God you can trust. Yes, that's what God's like. Isn't that amazing? He is so good. And so friends, let's stop running. Let's stop running away from him. Let's turn. See the one who's been chasing after you all along. Because he's a God who pursues. And you can trust him. And you can run to him. So he can begin to change your heart to be like his. Loving, gracious and kind. This morning we're going to end by taking communion as we do each Sunday. Tables are open in the front and in the back. I want to encourage you. If you place your faith in Christ, if you have believe what we're celebrating here we want you to come and take it if you've never believed this guys I would ask you to use this time right now to wrestle with God like God is this really what you're like did you really enter my storm to die for me perhaps even now you would place your faith in Christ and in that moment know that you've been reconciled to God through Jesus for the rest of us as we come and take communion here's what I want to ask you to meditate on as you take the bread and you drink the cup meditate on this God can be trusted how do you know what we're remembering right now is ultimate proof what else does God have to do to show how committed he is to your good to show how much he loves you we can trust him so we take this let's say God, I know I can trust you. I want, I want to stop running. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you that you are, God, this is, this is true. How amazing is this? That this is what you're, that this is what you're like. God, we give you praise. And we ask that you help us believe it. God, keep us from running from you. Thank you for running after us. Thank you that you ran after us to the point that you literally died for us. That we could be brought into your family even though we've run. And help us trust you more. And God, may you be glorified as we sing your praises now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.